I'm delighted to be here. It is early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Crowds gathered here and preach, especially in Galilee, that northernmost region, rural region of the land of Palestine. And he stands by the Sea of Galilee, and a multitude wants to hear him preach. Their bodies are close. The water's behind him. They will absorb the sound of his voice. He looks over, and he sees some empty ships. Anybody here own a boat? Sorry, I'm not preaching against it. It's okay. <laughs> the Bible says that the Lord Jesus walked over, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. He just walked over and got in Peter's boat. Imagine you take your boat down to the lake. You're by yourself. You back it down the ramp, winch it off the trailer, tie it on the dock. Go park your truck and come back and somebody's sitting in your boat. <laughs> what would you say? Hi, how y'all doing? I told you I'm from South Carolina, so I know that y'all is not plural. Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural, and all y'alls is, is plural possessive. But I mean the Lord Jesus walks in and gets in Peter's boat. He's acting like, like he owns the place. Well, I guess he does. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord Jesus can never intrude. He can never ask for too much. You want us to come back Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night? Amen. Well, the preacher does, but more important, the Lord does. Amen. And then he makes a request. Now, I happen to know that your pastor, and he has been like a grandfather to me. It's just been wonderful. <laughs> believes that everything Northern Kentucky Baptist Church is supposed to accomplish for the cause of Christ has already been done. Every soul needs to be saved. is already saved. Their marriage needs to be rebuilt. Doing fine. All the drug addicts have been delivered. All the rebellious teenagers are... No. Let's <laughs> add ministries. Knock on more doors, pass out more tracts, support more missionaries. Get the gospel out in this area and around the world in a greater way. How are you going to do that? Well, the Lord makes two requests in our story. I believe he will make one or more, one or both of those requests to each of us here today. His first request is Peter, would you thrust out a little bit from the land? Peter does, and now there's a space of water between the Lord Jesus and the crowd. It amplifies his voice. It lets the people hear, and he gets all done preaching. He says, now, Peter, take all your nets. Peter was washing and cleaning them up when Jesus came and get back in the water and go out into the deep and put all the nets into the water, and I'm going to give you a great big catch of fish. And it's like Peter says, Lord, you know the preaching business. 
You wanted to use my boat. I didn't ask you what for, how long, when do I get it back? What are you going to do? I let you use it. But I know the fishing business. Any fish to be caught in this body of water, we'd have taken them last night. We fished all night, caught nothing. I've been cleaning these nets. I get them all wet and dirty again. Got to clean them again. I'm tired. I haven't slept. But I'll humor you. I'll put one net in the water. <coughs> they do. And the net fills up with fish. And it begins to break, and they call their partners with another ship, and they get the fish in the boats, and both boats are so full they begin to sink. And Peter's embarrassed at his lack of faith, at his limited obedience. And he falls down to the knees of the Lord Jesus, and he says, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. And the Lord Jesus answers with words we find all through the Bible. Words that are really important to us in the time we face in our country. He says, fear not. And then he says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And that occasion of Peter's limited obedience and his lack of faith becomes the occasion of his call to the ministry. I have a question. Can Jesus use your boat? (laughs) If he wants you to thrust out a little bit from the land, would that be okay? See, revival is not... (coughs) <coughs> it doesn't start with a group. It starts with individuals. It affects the group. And <coughs> for a revival to come for the church, to fulfill the will of God for the next years, what has to happen is for most people to do a little bit more. Give a little more. Serve a little more. Knock on a few more doors. Read the Bible a little more, pray a little more, pass out a few more tracts, disciple a few more people, uh, encourage a few more guests. You see, if everybody does a little bit more, it adds up to a lot. But for some of us, the Lord will say, I want you to launch out in the deep. I want you to do something really big. I want you to look at the story and consider the lessons it teaches us. The first lesson is this. The Lord Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. We hear of great example churches. My friend John Wilkerson spoke to him uh, day before yesterday. Pastors, First Baptist Church of Hammond, doing a phenomenal job. Largest independent Baptist church in the United States, running probably six or 7,000 giving a million and a half dollars a year to missions. I remember Paul Chapel, about the second largest independent Baptist church in the United States, probably the largest budget, big college, another million and a half a year to missions, probably running 5,000 or so, $20 million a year, nearly budget. Those churches are doing the job. Well, they are. But the typical independent Baptist church runs 110 on Sunday morning. You're a lot better than that. 
And from those churches come most of our missionaries, most of our Bible college students, most of our preachers, most of our Christian school teachers. And the honest truth is, <coughs> you could shut down those big example churches, thank God for them, and leave churches like ours and the work of God would be just fine. But you shut down all the churches like ours and leave those handful of big example churches and the work of God will dry up overnight. Listen to me, friend. Don't ever think you don't matter. Don't ever think that matter if you don't show up for choir practice, if you don't go work on the visiting your Sunday school class, if you don't put your offering in, if you don't knock on doors, if you don't witness to people, if you don't invite guests, no, 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 no. The Lord uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. He, could, he had rich followers. Joseph Arimathea was rich. Nicodemus was at least well off. Women followed the Lord Jesus around. You know that? You don't make much of it. One of them was named Joanna. She was the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward. And the Bible says they ministered unto him of their substance. He could have had a wealthy man build a nice dock and put a gazebo at the end and hang a soundboard over it, but he did not. He used the boat of an ordinary fisherman. Can, can he use your boat? Would you thrust out a little from the land? Lesson number two. The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Peter's worked all night. You ever work all night? Walk out in the morning and feel fabulous, don't you? I have been so tired after working all night long that I actually felt like I was watching myself do stuff. Does that make sense? Out of the body experience. Hey, you're in a busy area. You have a lot of traffic. Some of you work some distance from your home. Your home may be some distance from the church. It won't be easy to get to the meetings tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. You'll have to hurry home, grab a sandwich, eat it in the car, maybe come to church in your work clothes. It'll be inconvenient. Can Jesus use your boat? Even though it's inconvenient. Not convenient to come to choir practice. Not convenient to study that Sunday school lesson, follow up on the visitors, follow up on the absentees, try to reach new class members. Not convenient to take a couple hours a week and go knock on doors and give people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not convenient to come back Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. But the Lord Jesus would like to use your boat. Can he do it when it's inconvenient? Lesson number three, the Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's illogical. How many like to fish? We got any fishermen here? We got a lot of fishermen and only one boat owner. <laughs> yeah, that guy's busy. By now it's about noontime, and you all know that's the very best time to go fishing. Wrong. Sun's high, water's warm, fish are deep. Bugs they eat aren't out. Dumb time. And Jesus said, get all your nets, <clears throat> put them in the water, get ready for a great catch of fish. Peter said, that doesn't make any sense. 
So I'll just put one net in the water. Because I don't think we're going to catch any fish anyway. Do you know the Lord Jesus often asks us to do things that don't make sense to us? Lord, there's a lot of smarter people, better educated, uh, more outgoing. Why don't you let them teach a class? You don't need me to teach that class. Lord, that choir is fabulous. Your choir is excellent. All your music is excellent. Lord, if I, just, if I sing it, I'll just mess it up. I mean, I... Uh, I sing like a, like a prisoner. I'm always behind a few bars and I can never find the key. <laughs> you don't want me to do that. You don't want me to go knocking on doors and talk to perfect strangers about their eternal destiny. Lord, I, I'm so nervous, I don't want to lead in silent prayer. Doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't want me to go off to Bible college. You want me to go into the ministry. Maybe. The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's illogical. Hey, can Jesus use your boat? Even when it doesn't make any sense to you at all. Next number is this. The Lord Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. Peter lets the Lord Jesus use his boat for a few hours at the most. And he gets the biggest catch of fish he's ever had in his entire life. You say, how do you know that? Because it filled both boats so that they began to sink. If you're a businessman and you're catching that many fish, you buy bigger boats. Wow. Ms. Young, you remember, used to be people go around and give their testimony. And they go like this, I could have been a football player, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a country singer, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a wealthy businessman, but I gave that up to serve God. And I knew one guy said he could have been all three, a country singing, football playing businessman. And he gave that up to serve God. And we're supposed to go, wow, God really got lucky when you signed up, didn't he? The Lord Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. He said, Peter, get your nets out. I'm going to give you a big catch of fish. Jesus said, nobody's left their house or their lands or their father or their mother, their husband, their wife, their children for my sake and the gospel. I'll give them a hundredfold now and everlasting life on the other side. No, I gave up nothing to serve God. God has been better to me than the world ever could have been, than the devil ever would have been. I gave him, the song says that I concur my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe, pure and white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven. And that's why I'm happy tonight. It's a good deal to serve God. God takes good care of his servants. He generously rewards those who serve him. But if we limit our obedience, we limit our reward. Put all your nets in, Peter. Well, I'll put one net in. I wonder if they'd put all the nets in. And they wouldn't begin to break, and they could have pulled them behind the ships and hauled everything to shore. I wonder how many fish they'd have caught then 
See, y'all are probably better Christians than me, but I sometimes have a tendency to negotiate with God. We have a big offering at our church. I started a faith-building offering. By faith, we're giving to help our buildings, and we are building our faith by giving. And first year we did it, I said, everybody give everything you can all at once. Give the rest over the course of the year. And God told me to give $10,000. I didn't have it. But told me to give it, and I committed, and he helped me and worked out. And the next year, I gave a little more, and next year, a little more, and next year, a little more. And one day, I said, God, this is not going to work. If I keep giving more money every year, pretty soon, I'll be giving more money than I make. Only the government can do that. <laughs> so you've got to keep God in the loop on these things. Make sure he knows what's going on. One Wednesday night, I'm teaching a lesson, talking about trusting God. And the Spirit of God said to me, can you trust me? Well, Lord, this is for them. Can you trust me? And in that moment, I did the hardest and the most important and the sweetest thing a child of God can ever do. I surrendered. You can limit your obedience, but one that in the water. But you limit your reward. I read about a wealthy man that built an entire church. Property, buildings, furnishings. Not long after that, he had a financial reversal and he lost everything he owned. He was walking by the building with a friend who knew a story and the friend rather cynically said, well, I bet you wish now you hadn't given all that money away. And the former rich man, now working an ordinary job like most of us, smiled. And he pointed to the building. He said, if I'd kept that money, I would have lost it. When I lost everything else, he said, that's the only thing I saved. Church, can I remind you one day you and I are going to get to heaven and find out the only thing we're able to save is what we gave. Limit your obedience, you limit your reward. I asked Brother Miller when he asked for the passage to read verses 1 through 10. We deliberately did not read verse 11. Here's the final lesson. Verse 11 says, when they came to shore, they forsook all and followed him. All what? All those fish they just caught, biggest catch of their lives. All those nets Peter was so worried about not getting in the water. The ships that were essential to their livelihood. You see, Jesus said from henceforth, thou shalt catch man. When they got around the Lord Jesus, when they found out a bit of who he was, when they saw what it was like to be involved in his work, in his service, nothing else mattered. Here's the last lesson. Don't miss it. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. I'm glad you gave your preacher a check. Oh, it was a really big check. I really do. But that's not why he serves God. He served God when there were no checks. I live in a nice house. I drive a nice car. That's not why I served. I served God when I lived in a tiny little house and drove a car that had to carry jumper cables in because it stalled about every time I turned it off. Wouldn't start again. 
No, no, no. The Lord Jesus chose 12 that he might teach them and that they might be with him. Do you know the best part about serving Jesus is that you get to be with him. You get to serve Jesus. Used to be a TV program called The Family Affair. Uncle Bill, played by Brian Keith, had adopted two nieces and a nephew, Jody and Buffy and Sissy. Mr. French, Sebastian Cabot, was kind of a male man. He took care of him. One day, in one of those programs, Uncle Bill decided to take the kids on a fishing trip. He got out the sleeping bags and the poles and the cook stove and the tent and the tackle boxes and the life jackets, and he loaded it all in the station wagon. That's what they used to call SUVs. <laughs> and everything on the trip was terrible. The boat leaked, the motor conked out, the mosquitoes were awful, the lines got tangled. It rained all the time, the tent leaked. They didn't catch a thing. And they finally threw the sodden mess in the back of the station wagon and went home and Uncle Bill's disgusted and said, I'm sorry, kids. I wanted you to have a good time. And one of the kids said, oh, Uncle Bill, that's all right. We just enjoyed being with you. The best part about serving Jesus is you get to serve Jesus. Not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. There was another TV program on when I was a kid called Kojak. They never watched it. I don't know if it was good or bad, but I knew it existed. Telly Savalas played a New York City detective who was noted for two things. He always had a lollipop in his mouth. And he had a very distinctively masculine haircut. <laughs> he was flying home to his native Greece. And across the aisle, a man leaned over and said, Mr. Savalas, I know you're busy. People bother you all the time, but you're my favorite actor. Could I talk to you a little bit? He said, no, I'm taking this trip because I'm tired. I don't want to talk to anybody. I need rest. All right. Long flight to Greece, eight, ten hours from New York to Athens. The man looks over sometime later, tells him, Savalas is not sleeping. He's not eating. He's not reading. not working on anything. <laughs> Mr. Savalas I know you said you didn't want to be bothered, but you're my favorite actor. You're Greek, and I'm Greek. You brought so much honor to our country. Can I talk to you a little bit? No. I said I didn't want to be bothered. Yes, sir, you did. I'm sorry. Plane lands in Greece. Telly Savalas peers out the window as it taxis to the gate, and he sees reporters and photographers and a band and a big crowd of people. He begins to curse, and he says, that agent of mine, I told him I didn't want anybody to know where I was. When the plane stops, two Greek soldiers enter the aircraft carrying their rifles. Everyone stay seated. There's no problem. We want you to remain seated as we escort the king of Greece off of the aircraft. And the man who twice said, can I talk to you a little bit? Snugged up his tie, straightened up his jacket. Went out to the crowd waiting to welcome him home. The photographers waiting to take his picture. The reporters waiting to write about his return. The band waiting to play for him. Well, I wonder how Telly Savalas felt then. 
wonder how I'll feel. How you'll feel. When we stand in the judgment seat of Christ and are confronted with the fact that not once, not twice, hundreds, thousands of times, the Lord Jesus said, can I use your boat? Would you call that person? Would you go back and talk to them? Would you go give them a tract? Would you serve in that ministry? Would you give to that project? And we were too busy to be bothered. Can Jesus use your boat? He expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient and illogical. He uses ordinary people in their possessions to accomplish most of his work. He generously rewards those who serve him. And if we limit our obedience, then we limit our reward. Lord, 